I want to invite you to turn in your Bible this morning to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. And the theme for this morning's message is Christian privileges and duties. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We turn to you, the Almighty One. We turn to you, the Holy One of Israel. And we pray for an open heart and an open mind, for a mind of understanding. Wisdom is from the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Grant us this wisdom, Lord. Teach us the fear of God. And help us to walk in the Spirit. As you instruct us now, please guide our thoughts. And guide our lives, our hands, our feet, our bodies. That we may offer it to you as a living sacrifice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are chosen, anyone who is chosen for the Springbok rugby team, that's a very great privilege. But it's also a duty. You have duties. Your duty to be at practice. Your duty to represent the Springbok team also in public life. You can't mess up and be immoral and use drugs and do all those kinds of things. You'll be kicked out of the team. And so in the same way, there are certain Christian privileges that God has given us, but there are also Christian duties. So first of all, we're going to look at the privileges, verse 19 to 21, and then at the duties, uh, the duties in verse 22 to 25. Verse 19 to 21, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So there are the privileges. And the privileges then are, you've got access to God in verse 19 and 20. If you want to make a, or you, if you want to see a very, very important person, you have to make an appointment. And the same with God in the Old Testament. Only the high priest could go through that temple curtain and that but once a year. When he went on the Day of Atonement, according to Leviticus 16 and even Hebrews 9 verse 7, once a year he went through the curtain and he prayed for himself, for his own sin and for the sin of the people. Now in the New Testament things changed when Jesus died on the cross and God God tore the temple curtain, he, rent, he, he literally ripped the curtain from top to bottom. It was rent into, according to verse 20, through the curtain. God opened a way through the curtain. Matthew 27 verse 51. Now this torn curtain is a picture of Jesus' body that was torn when he was lashed, when he was whipped, nails through his hands and feet and Wounds on his body, a wound in his side, a wound on his head with a crown of thorns. So verse 20 speaks of the curtain and then it says that is through his flesh, meaning through his death when the curtain 
was torn. And so in this way, the Father really showed that, that heaven is now open. Heaven is open to sinners. We can come to Him. Through the blood of Jesus, we can come at any time. We can come with boldness. We can come without being ashamed or being afraid or with, with doubt, without doubt. We can come. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Romans 5 verse 2, we have access. Ephesians 3 verse 12, speaking of with boldness and with confidence we have access. Hebrews 4 16, the same. So we no longer, it's no longer necessary to come on this old way, the old covenant, come through the old way of dead animals, sacrifices, but now verse 19 says there's a new way. Uh, verse 20 really, a new way. And it speaks of a living way, not dead animals, but the living Christ. Christ who has risen from the dead. Christ who is the way and the truth and the life. Now I need to ask you, how often do you make use of this privilege? When lost... Were you in prayer? When last did you sit at the Lord's feet in prayer? When last did you pray? Not because you wanted something from God, but simply because you wanted to be with Jesus. Prayer is the very first and most important privilege of the Christian life. Prayer is the salt that gives flavor to all the dishes. Prayer is... The place where we come and we receive God's strength and power to enjoy all the privileges and to enjoy and do even our duties in a right manner. Reading the Word, listening to the Word. You need to pray if you want to use that aright and to, to do your duties aright. We need to pray if you want to use your spiritual gift in the right way or you want to partake of the Lord's Supper and profit from that and benefit from that. When you share the gospel, you need the power of God and in order to get that you need to pray or when you praise God and sing His praises or when we persevere in the Christian life. All these things, we need prayer to back it up. So anyone who... Anyone who neglects prayer in the Christian life, that person is like a car without an engine. And without the engine of prayer, it does not matter how attractive or how nice the seats in your car is, the, the, the seats of preaching or the radio of evangelism or the lights of, of singing God's praise or the wheels of perseverance. It doesn't matter. None of that matters without prayer. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And it's for this very reason, I would almost sacrifice anything in the church. The youth meeting can go, and a women's meeting can go, and whatever else can go. I think prayer would be the very last thing on my list that I'll be willing to sacrifice. So I want to ask you, if you are not part of at least one prayer meeting in this church, I want to invite you and I want to ask you, join. Join. Forget your, I'm embarrassed, I don't know how to pray in front of other people. Forget all of that. Verse 19, we have confidence. 
and pray with confidence. Now, perhaps you say, oh, I'm too busy. I'm just too busy to be part of any of, any of that. Well, you're not, more bu- you're not busier than Jesus. And yet Jesus prayed more than any of us. So it's time to confess your prayerlessness and to make time to pray on your own and with other Christians. Because it says in verse 19, we have confidence, not just I have confidence. And then another privilege is in verse 21, you are part of God's family. I knew a guy, he's dead now, but I knew this guy, uh, 29 years old at the time, and he couldn't talk. He couldn't talk, he made sounds, but couldn't talk, Uh, brain damaged, and his family just threw him away. And when I showed him Mark 10, verse 29 and 30, where Jesus said, uh, if you have left everything to follow me, and Maybe you even lost your brothers and sisters and father and mother, your family, and you lost your house, and you'll have a hundred times as many brothers and sisters and houses and lands and so on in this life. Meaning, as part of the Christian family, you've got all these brothers and sisters now, and their houses are homes are open to you and so on. And he was really, he was just overjoyed when I told him that. So it's a very big privilege if the living God makes you a part of his family. And many people, they don't realize it because nowadays you can become part of a church easier. It's easier to become part of the church than to become a member of the cricket club. So people, it's just, oh, more or less, you need to say the right words, you need to be baptized, and then you're accepted as a member of a church. And many leaders, many spiritual leaders in churches, they don't care. They don't care if you have a correct understanding of the gospel, whether you believe the gospel, whether you've got a credible profession of faith, or whether you live like a Christian. As long as you're just interested, that's fine. That's fine. We'll accept you as a member. But if you attend a church, you start attending this church, and they really believe the biblical gospel, and you need to live a holy life to become a member, uh, they want to see that you live like a Christian, and if you do not live like a Christian and you are a member, if you keep on living in sin, then there will be church discipline, there will be consequences. Well, if you visit a church like that, suddenly you realize what a privilege it is to be part of a church. Now, obviously, even the best of churches, there will be Judases, there will be Demases, but as far as we can help it, we shouldn't allow these people to come in. As members, these Demases and Judases, we should make certain as far as possible that only true believers become members of the church. How do we do this? Well, we need time. We need time. Uh, people need to, when they visit the church, we need to get to know them and to see their lives and to see do they really believe the biblical gospel. Um, so, in other words, we don't accept people into membership after four or five weeks of attendance, it's going to take a couple of months, maybe four or five months of them attending this church before they are received into membership. So now the question for you this morning, are you a member of a good church? And if not, why not? Why not? What is holding you back? Are you not yet saved? Well, ask God to save you. Call upon the Lord for salvation and believe that the cross of Christ is sufficient to forgive your sin. 
And if you are already saved, but you're not a member of a good church yet, why not? Do you think membership is it's not necessary to be a member of a church? Uh, well, I can assure you from the New Testament that church membership is very necessary and it's very biblical. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. In the early church, they kept a record of who was part of the church and who not. For example, in, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were added to the church. Acts chapter 4, the number of the men alone grew to 5,000. Matthew 18, when it says some people are put out of the church, they are cut off, they are removed from the church through discipline, that implies that they were part of the church. So they knew these people are part, these people are not. 1 Thessalonians 5, Hebrews 13, it tells you to obey your leaders. How can you obey that command if you're not part of a church? It implies you're part of a certain body of believers and you know who your spiritual leaders are. 1 Peter 5 verse 2 tells the elders to keep watch over those who are placed under your care. Well then, that means the leaders know these people are part, these people are not. All the New Testament letters were written to churches or to leaders of churches. And then, of course, there are the one another commands. Love one another. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Now, and so on. Now, obviously, God doesn't expect of you to do all those one another commands to every single Christian in the world. Those one another commands imply you're part of a local body of believers. And it's for those believers that you should bear their burdens, pray for one another, and so on. So don't, please don't be like a man who loves to, be, to go out with this girl. He loves going out with this girl, being in a, in a, in a relationship with her, but he, he wishes it will be like that forever. He never wants to get married to her. Don't date the church. Become part of God's family. The family of which, verse 21 says, we have a great priest over the house of God. So become part of this house of God, this household of God, this family of God, with Jesus as our great priest and Jesus as the head of the church. I feel very uncomfortable when people say to me, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not part of a church, I'm not part of a, a, a congregation, but at least I'm, I do serve the Lord. And, you know, I always wonder, what Lord are you serving? Because the Jesus of the Bible, well, he's the head of the church. All right, so those are the privileges. Number two, duties. Verse 22 to 25. Let us draw near with a heart in full assurance, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Right, so our duties, the first one is in verse 22, draw near to God. I enjoy providing for my wife. I find it's a privilege to do so, but it's also a God-given duty. 
like Ephesians 5 teaches us, verse 25 and verse 29, to love my wife and to nourish and cherish her. So what, I'm, what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you, in the Old Testament, only the priests could draw near to God. Numbers 3 tells us that. Anyone else who tried was put to death. In the New Testament, every believer has this privilege of drawing near to God. Verse 19, we saw that, that with confidence we can enter the holy places. Verse 20, we saw that through the new and living way. Now we see the new and living way where we can come. Every believer comes. So, so really, to tell you the truth, it's not just... It's not just a privilege, it's also a duty. So the privilege, verse 19 and 20, but now verse 22 tells us, let us draw near. That is a command. That is a duty. Let us draw near. And it's not just an individual duty. That is a duty, a corporate duty, a duty with, together with other believers. Verse 22, let us. Verse 23, let us. Verse 24, let us. And it's a pity, and really sad, that some people only see it as a privilege, but they think, oh, it's a privilege like a Master Chef immunity pin. I can use it if I want to, but I don't have to. I can draw near if I want to. It's a privilege, but it's not a duty. I don't have to. No, it's a duty. Verse 22, it's your duty to draw near to God. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He's your Father. He's your King. So don't say, oh, it's my privilege to pray. It's a privilege to come to the prayer meeting. It's a privilege to come to a worship service. But I don't have to, and I don't want to today. If you keep on staying away from these things, well then, it's obvious you're drawing nearer to the world. Either you're drawing nearer to God, or you're drawing nearer to the world, and sin. So therefore... Verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. And come and gather with other believers on a regular basis and with a true heart, with a sincere heart to worship God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. So when it says with a true heart, it's worship from the heart. It's worship from the heart. It's not merely going through the rituals of praying and you've got these external rites of praying and singing and using the Lord's table. No, let us do so. Let us draw near with a true heart. Now that does not mean when it says with a true heart or with a sincere heart, it doesn't mean, oh, so the Lord accepts my worship because it's sincere. No, the Lord accepts your worship because you believe in Jesus and Jesus, you believe in this Christ who is standing in your place, who represents you, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We're trusting in another. That is, that is the ground for our acceptance with the Father is Jesus. Now, perhaps you, you, you're staying away from the gathering of believers because you've got sin in your heart. You've got sin in your life and your conscience is bothering you. It's not necessary for you to stay away. In the Old Testament, the high priest went and he took blood and he sprinkled the blood. And so now in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, you are sprinkled with his blood. You are cleansed with his blood. Verse 22 speaks... Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That conscience bothering you. So it's as if, it's as if the Lord, he, he cleanses your heart with his blood. 
through his blood, by means of his blood, because of his blood, he sprinkles your conscience like he's sprinkling your conscience with blood to purify you. And then to sanctify you, meaning to set you apart for himself so that he can dwell and live in your life and live in your heart. Verse 22. Conscience, and it speaks of how heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. John 14.23, the Father and the Son will come and make their dwelling with you. 1 Peter 1 verse 2, we've been sprinkled with his blood. Hebrews 12.24, sprinkling with his blood. Hebrews 9 verse 14, his blood that, that gives us a clean conscience, purifies our conscience. And then the Holy Spirit also, he washes us uh, in the bath, so to speak, in the bath of regeneration. He washes us with pure water, verse 22, at the end. Uh, our bodies washed with pure water. What does that mean? It's, it speaks, uh, it's uh, really referring to or speaking of a spiritual cleansing. So it uses the picture of water, like water washes the body. So there's a spiritual cleansing of the heart through the Holy Spirit. Um, Titus 3 verse 5 and 6 and 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, washed. And Ephesians 5 26, the washing of water with the word. Jesus said you are, you are pure because of the words I've spoken to you. Um, we have to be born of water and the spirit. John 3 verse 5, Ezekiel 36 verse 25 and 26, sprinkling and then, then being cleansed with pure water. So it's a spiritual cleansing, but that is pictured in baptism. When your body goes under the water, it's a picture of the spiritual cleansing. So it's, it's not baptism that purifies you, it's Jesus that purifies and the Holy Spirit that purifies. But baptism is an illustration that the Lord has cleansed my heart and Purified my conscience, verse 22. Heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water. And that you find in 1 Peter 3, verse 20 also. Calling on the Lord for a clean conscience and, and baptism. Washing the body. As an illustration of the soul that has been cleansed. So in the Old Testament, you find that, that even the, the priests were even sprinkled, even they were sprinkled with blood, um, according to Leviticus 8 verse 6, or 29 verse 21, in Leviticus 8 verse 6, they were purified and washed with water. And so now in the New Testament, you've got this picture where every Christian is a priest. Every Christian can bring spiritual sacrifices. Every Christian can come directly into the presence of God in prayer. And in worship. And so now we too are sprinkled with blood and cleansed with water like the Old Testament priests. And that you find in verse 22. Hearts sprinkled clean and bodies washed with pure water. So has the Lord washed you? Have you been washed? Yes. Alright. So you've been washed. You're a Christian you say. Next question. Have you Testified? Have you professed that publicly in baptism? And now some of you say, no. Why not? Why not? You ought to be baptized. Not because the Baptists 
say so, but because Jesus is your Lord and he commands you to be baptized. To me has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm your Lord. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you even unto the end of the age. So that's your, your duty. And then another duty is in verse 23, hold fast to Christ. So let's say there's a man busy drowning and you throw a life buoy and he grabs hold of that. In the same way, the writer to the Hebrews, he warns these Hebrew Christians, don't turn your back on Jesus and return to Old Testament sacrifices because obviously they, they were persecuted by the Jews. Uh, we learn that from chapter 10 verse 34, for example. They were put in prison and they property was plundered and so he tells them now now you put now you tempted to return to judaism you tempted to go back to the old testament sacrifices you tempted to return to the temple you tempted to turn your back on jesus don't do that hold fast to jesus hold on to jesus jesus is our life boy jesus is the confession of our hope verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And obviously our hope is Jesus. 1 Timothy 1 verse 1. Colossians 1 verse 27. 7, Christ in us the hope of glory. Chapter 4 verse 14. Speaks of let us hold fast our confession. The confession of Jesus. And that goes not only for them but for us too. And if you want to do this effectively and hold fast to the confession of your hope to Christ, then you must hold fast to Christ together with other believers, not merely on your own. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Any Christian, any believer who starts drifting from the other believers, you're like an animal. You've left the herd. You're a target for the wolves. Now perhaps you say, well, I can read the Bible on my own. I don't need a congregation. I don't need other Christians. Alright, so you read the Bible on your own. Who do, you, who do you measure? Who do you measure your interpretation to? So you've got this, oh, this is what this verse means. This is what this verse means. So who, who are you going to measure that against? Your own thoughts? That's all you've got? What about other believers? To whom are you accountable? Now perhaps you say, well, I, I just listen to the Holy Spirit. I don't need other believers. I don't need to be accountable. I'm accountable to God. I don't need to measure my interpretation against others. I've got the Holy Spirit to tell me what's right and what's wrong. How do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Who tells you it's not merely your interpretation? Who tells you it's not the devil misleading you as an angel of light? Or does the Holy Spirit speak only to you? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 36. Was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? 
Charles Spurgeon said, it seems odd that certain many talk so much of what the Holy Spirit reveals to themselves should think so little of what he has revealed to others. You need to hold fast to the confession of Christ with other believers. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So that means you must be part of a Christian congregation. And it also means you must consider church history. Don't follow new teachings. Stay with what Christians have always believed. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Us, Christians now, but Christians in the past, Christians throughout all of church history. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I think it's for that very reason where we have to hold fast together with other Christians, also throughout history. It's for that very reason that confessions like the Apostolic Confession of Faith, the Apostles' Creed, like the Nicene Creed, like the 1689 Baptist Confession, like the Westminster Confession and Shorter Catechism and Longer Catechism, and, and creeds like that and confessions like that, it's very helpful. Now, I don't mean that confessions of faith are on the same level as the Bible. But what I am saying is, confessions help us to understand what do we mean by certain terms, certain biblical terms. For instance, if you see that you say, I believe in the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, what do you mean when you use the term resurrection? Do you mean it like the liberals do? Oh, I just mean Jesus rose in my heart. I don't believe in a bodily, literal, literal, physical, historical resurrection. Or do you believe in a literal, body, bodily, historical, and physical resurrection? So a confession of faith helps us to define what do we mean by resurrection. We mean a bodily resurrection. What do we mean by the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus? What do you mean when you speak of Jesus? You use the word Jesus. Do you merely mean he's a good prophet, but he's not God? Or do you mean he is God the Son? So you see, what confessions do is they help us to define what we, what we mean by certain biblical terms and also help us and protect us so that people cannot so easily falsify Scripture. Now, someone will say, yes, but how do, how do we know the Bible is true? Well, we know it's true because it's the word of God, and God cannot lie. Hebrews 6, verse 18. Numbers 23, 19. Titus 1, verse 2. God cannot lie. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 speaks of the Bible as the word of God. The apostles' words were not their own, but the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians. If you reject these words, you don't reject man, but God. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scriptures inspired by God. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 to 21. Saying that no prophecy of scripture was ever produced by the will of man. It's not the interpretation of men. It's the Holy Spirit that taught them what to say. It's the word of God. 
so we can trust God's word, God's promises. Verse 23, second part, he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. What he says is what he does. So you can trust it. Yes, someone comes, yes, but how do we not, how do we know, what, what if people twisted, they started twisting the Bible and falsified scripture, so, so what the Hebrews had, for instance, and other Christians in the first century, it's been twisted, and so we can't believe the Bibles we have today. Well, if you think that way, you have a very, full, you have a very small view of God. Do you really think? That God couldn't preserve his own word. He couldn't protect his own scriptures against demons and evil people. And then, another duty, the final duty is in verse 24 and 25. Encourage one another or spur one another on. So, I'm a married man, and my wife helps me when I'm in need and in trouble, and I help her. And then I have a very good friend in the ministry, and he helps me when I'm discouraged, and I help him. So, Ecclesiastes tell, tells us, two are better than one. And so the same in the Christian life. We need one another in a congregation, in a church. So we encourage one another. We exhort one another not to become lukewarm. We encourage one another not to sin. Chapter 3, verse 13 of Hebrews. And then we, in, we spur one another on in faith. Verse 22. In hope. Verse 23. In love. Verse 24. We encourage one another to love and good works. Verse 24. So how do we spur one another onto good works? Well, we set an example. We set an example by, in this time of, of lockdown, by calling other believers, by praying for sick people in our midst, by, by buying, buying data for someone so that they can watch the, the, the sermons live stream, especially for the older people who can't come at this time, and by helping one another financially because some have lost their jobs or had a cut in salary, or by sharing the gospel with someone, or by, by serving, by encouraging one another, by, by listening to others when they share their problems. And you cannot do those things effectively if you do not gather with believers, if you keep on staying away. So that is why these Hebrew Christians, they weren't supposed to turn their backs on the new temple, which is the church, the new temple, like Paul calls it. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They shouldn't turn their backs on the new temple and want to return to the old temple. Verse 25, do not neglect to meet together. Do not neglect this new temple to return to the old. In our context, we can say, do not neglect the new temple, the church, because you want to go back to the world. You want to go back to your life and your way of doing stuff and your comfort to 
Oh, I'll turn my back on the new temple. I'll neglect gathering with believers because today I want to watch television. I want to go to a braai. I want to visit friends. I want to sleep late. Sleep in. I want to go to sport. I want to watch sport. I want to go to work. I want to go to the mall, go to the shops, or do whatever else. That is a bad habit. And the only way to overcome a bad habit is by forming a good, a good habit and a new habit. Do not neglect to meet together. Not neglecting to meet together, verse 25, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. Like the early church, they had a good habit of meeting together, of fellowship, Acts 2.42, um, Acts 5, verse 12b, where the believers gathered together. Jesus even had a habit of going to the synagogue, Luke 4, verse 16. Still under the old covenant, but now under the new, gathering together. And I think that is, that is relevant in this context of online church. We couldn't help it for a moment. It was lockdown, a national and nationwide and really a worldwide lockdown. So we couldn't help it. But don't get used to online church. We need to gather as often as possible. You should only stay away if you have a valid reason. And what, is, what are valid reasons? A valid reason is any reason where you say, oh, this is not against Scripture. Any reason that you would use for any and every area of your life. In other words, you don't say, oh, I can't come to church, but tomorrow night you go to your friends for a bribe. I can't come to church because... And then that because, well, it doesn't count tomorrow night, does it? What you should rather say is, I cannot go to the shop. I cannot visit friends. I cannot go to the sport. I cannot go to the birthday party. I cannot invite family. I cannot go to work. I cannot go to church because. That's a valid reason. It goes for everything. So, so a valid reason would be something like sickness. I cannot come. I'm sick. I'm an invalid. I cannot come. I'm on holiday. I cannot be with you. I will meet with other believers somewhere. It's lockdown. I cannot come. I need to look after an old person or an, an aged person who really cannot go without caretaking and caregiving. I need to look after someone who is sick. Someone has died. Those are valid reasons and some others. Some other reasons. So if you, if you really cannot come and gather with the believers, then please, I want to ask you at least keep on watching the sermons online. Keep on listening to the sermons online. And, and keep in contact, stay in contact with other believers. And if some of our people stay away because of a bad reason, they don't have any good reason or valid reason, we need to spur them on to come. Verse 25, second part, encouraging one another. And that is not only the elder's job. That is, that is said to all of us. We must encourage one another. So phone those people, call those people, visit those people who have no valid reason and they're, they're staying away. Ask them, is everything okay? And if we do our best and we really try to encourage them to come and they keep on staying away, well, then we need to follow the, the, the process of church discipline. You see, because these people, they're, they're just... No care attitude about the Word of God. They don't care whether they're here to 
to listen to the preaching of God's word. They don't care whether they're here to fellowship with other believers. They don't care whether they're here to serve and be served. That shows that they probably don't know the Lord. They're probably not believers and they're in danger. They are in danger. So the Hebrew Christians, in, in this text, the Hebrew Christians, they would be punished with the Jews if they turned their backs on Jesus and returned to their Old Testament sacrifices. Verse 25. It ends, and all the more, so encouraging one another to come together, all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And so in our context we can say, God will take it very seriously. If Jesus Christ gave his life for the church, God gave his son to die for the church, Jesus spilt and shed his blood for the church. Acts 20, 28, Ephesians 5, 25. He did all of that. And we do not even consider it worth our while to make the gathering of believers a priority. What will you say to Jesus on the last day if he asks you, why do you want to be with other believers in heaven to worship me if you did not even do it faithfully while you were on earth? I doubt it very strongly that you'd be able to give him a good answer. So my counsel and my advice to you is, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Our Father in heaven, I do pray that you would encourage and spur on any believer listening to this who has been unfaithful to the body of Christ, who has boasted that I have a relationship with the head but has neglected the body. O oh Lord, please have mercy on them and draw these backsliders back to yourself. For any listening to this who are, are faithful, I pray that you would help them to continue spurring one another on to love and good works. To any listening to this who are not yet saved, I pray that you would bring them through the new and living way to the Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.